1: Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller.
2: Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets
1: Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, and at Bloomberg.com Five hundred 528,000 jobs added in the month of July. That got my attention this morning. I think I got the market's attention yeah. uh, as well. So we need to break it down, and we do that with uh, Tom Gimbel, Founder and CEO of LaSalle Network joins us every month to help us get a handle on what's going on out there in the jobs market. Tom, wow. Uh, I didn't see that coming. I don't think the market did as well. What do you see out there as you talk to your clients?
3: I see that there's no recession. It may come, but it's becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. If, if there is no jobs problem and unemployment is at historic lows, the economy is good. And I understand what two consecutive quarters of negative GDP gdp growth means however we've never had it coming out of a global pandemic we've never had it in a global economy we've never had it with supply chain problems and for people to say that we are in a a recession or the economy is bad is purely trying to mislead people for their own political agenda well that says it
2: damn dude um I agree with you, uh, although I can understand why people would, you know, a lot of people just fall back on old definitions and it's difficult to move them um, from those. Right. So but after having seen the kind of growth that that uh, was showed in the jobs report today and, you know, with three and a half percent unemployment, clearly we're not in a recession. But what do you think this means for the Fed Are they get? Are they just uh, free to let loose? Are they going to go 75, 75? Are we going to 5%? Are we going to 6% Fed funds? Listen,
3: what what we're going to see happen with the Fed is they'll probably do what Powell said before this report, and they'll probably only do 50 basis points. And they'll see that we'll be in, in the exact same situation. And then coming on the last hike of the year, they'll either do another 50 or 75. And so we're getting to a point that, it's still going to be below where it was 15 years ago, 20 years ago. I mean, people act like because we were having free money for so long that that's the norm. That wasn't the norm. It was an artificial stimulant. And now what the economy is showing us
1: is that it doesn't need 0% interest rates to grow. Interesting. If you know, it's I guess the question for a lot of folks, and, and Tom, you see this every day. You talk to your clients that are out there trying to, to find people. Is there... Uh, I guess, what are you hearing from your employers that you talk with? I mean, where are the real challenges in, in finding people? Because boy, it looks like it's a, still a em, employee's market out Well,
2: there. and from some pockets, uh, this was a disappointing report. Paul and I have a bank of screens up here. I'm looking at Fox News. Okay, Their headline is, White House Misses Forecast on Lower July Jobs Growth. So for Fox, Fox. this is a super weak report. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, and I think that goes back to what I said, yep. right, is depending on, on how things come and what the narrative is, is people have their own political agenda. And, and, and listen, I, I agree that Fox headline is ridiculous. And it's been the same way on the other way. I, I'm a, I'm a capitalist. I'm not a political person. And when I look at these things happen, what I'm talking to my clients about, they can't find people. So what what are they doing? What we're seeing is You're coming out of the summer with recent college graduates being hired. So that is a huge part where the summer numbers tend to be better, and they're going to hire people right out of college. We see the participation rate continue to, to go up, not always by how much we want it to be. However, there's a certain percentage of the market that is unemployable that no politician will ever talk about because it's not a popular view. And when we're moving forward on these things, we see that unemployment is at historic lows, and what are companies doing? A, it's a global economy. They're offshoring. So many companies, whether it's manufacturing or technology, have people in Eastern Europe, in Asia, uh, in South America. I talked to a company that's in the creative web design space, a big company, um, and they were saying how they have a, a, a company that they bought in South America that's doing creative work and digital work for them. It's not just a stereotypical offshoring a call center to India or having developers in Eastern Europe. We live in a global economy, and it's happening. So companies are hiring people here in lower entry-level jobs sometimes, outsourcing mid-to-higher-level jobs, or vice versa. What we live in is the greatest entrepreneurial country the world's ever seen. They come up with solutions to solve their problems. The problem with jobs, they're figuring out how to restaff. It's, it's really a great story.
2: It is It is a fascinating uh, story, and just – I, I, I'm moved by this jobs report. It just really uh, got me going. And the question is, um, you know, how much longer can inflation hold at this level? Now, um, does it hold longer if we get good jobs reports? Because Paul noted the forecast for CPI is 8.7 percent.
3: The situation is is, is everybody. And I, I, I love you guys. You're great. We're on every month. <laughs> Everybody's looking to be chicken little. Yep. When's the sky going to fall? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't plan, but sometimes you have to enjoy your time Sit at the back. beach yep. instead of always packing up your stuff to leave if it's going to rain. And <laughs> yep. right now, we've got a really good situation.
1: Yep, we've got a good, good labor market. And, Tom, you see it uh, firsthand on uh, the ground there at uh, as uh, founder and CEO of LaSalle Network. Again, Tom Gibble giving us some good perspective on what is just an extraordinarily strong uh, labor data point we got today that you can certainly bet the Federal Reserve is taking a look at. This is Bloomberg.
0: The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor q and Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at Qatar Economic Forum.com.
1: Our next guest, Jack Altman, CEO and co founder of Lattice. Uh, putting some people to work, and that's good stuff there. I noticed that Jack, former analyst at Gleacher and Company, that brings back some memories for me, Eric Gleacher, talk about one of the mega big M&A bankers back in the day. Huge. Uh, Cool stuff there. Hey Jack, you're at Lattice now, tell us what you guys are doing at Lattice, and and talk to us about the environment you're seeing right now.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, At Lattice, we make software to help companies do people management, so we do things like performance management, employee surveys, career development, And our lens on the world has been that modern companies need to be employee centric. And so companies need to work to give employees great experiences and that that's going to translate into great business results. And so we're kind of trying to reimagine every HR practice to, you know, fit a world where companies put people first.
1: How tough is it now? I mean, I don't know. I used to manage a lot of people here at Bloomberg and, you know, it's a challenge Uh, and I think in the pandemic era, it may be even more pronounced here because employees have different needs. Uh, they have different desires. They value things differently now. They want to work talk- from home. They want to work from home, the hybrid. Uh, they want to have special uh, meaning in their role. How has that evolved <laughs> in life? Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
4: those, those are great points. I think all of those things are challenging, right? You mentioned remote, which is a very hard thing to navigate. You mentioned the fact that employees want so much from work in terms of meaning and purpose. And then we've also just frankly been in a macroeconomic environment for the last couple of years where employees have had a sort of a, a record high amount of power in the work relationship. And so as an employer, a lot of people have been kind of scratching their heads between all of this, saying, "Gosh, this is—it's so challenging to hire. But I don't have people in the office. I can't build those trusting relationships. People want more from us than ever, but it feels like they can go get 15 jobs if they walk out of the building tomorrow. So it—it it has been a really challenging." Uh, period and people have had to rethink the way that they do management to sort of stay on top of it
2: What do you expect from? Uh, new hires I mean I, When I was a kid you would go work for a firm and stay there forever I think my family might be secretly Japanese, but um, <laughs> you know, I've been here for 22 20 oh, near near 23 years But the kids who come in they don't expect to stay longer than two years. They're just bouncing around back and forth and um, is that difficult to deal with, or is it acceptable?
4: It is difficult to deal with. There's benefits to it. There's there's things about the change that are positive, right? Like you mentioned, how I worked at Gleacher, which is you know an investment bank when I first got out of college. I learned a lot there, but the hours and the work were you know extraordinarily grueling. You know, over 100 hours a week. I don't think that was the optimal either. But I you know I tweeted something recently, basically saying that I don't think we're doing young people favors by Promising anything other than uh, hard work if you want to accomplish big things. And so I do think that the pendulum can swing too far, and that to get to sort of the proficiency and the excellence in any skill that's needed to really accomplish a lot, I do think that requires a sustained effort over a long period of time. And, you know, when you're just starting out in your career, that looks different than when you're 10 or 20 or 30 years into your career. And so I think there's a balance. I think. Uh, I think finding middle ground and finding sort of the essence of what's required and then trying to help people design good lives around that. But I think, I think we need a middle ground on a lot of that.
1: Jack, you know, I, I, maybe my career is a little bit similar to yours. You know, I spent most of my career on wall street and, and, and I think about on all the firms I've worked at, and unlike Matt, I bounced around to the highest paycheck, but um, no no loyalty whatsoever, uh, other than to my bank <laughs> account. It sounds terrible to say, but that's kind of how my generation was. But you never had a boss like this. Uh, no, I did not. You're exactly right. Um, but one of the things is the office environment, the relationships that helps you foster. You know, working those long hours, traveling, doing all those things together as a team. And when I think about back to all the firms I worked at, it's the people it's not you know and those are formed by being together how do you do that in this environment where many of the people are working from home or hybrid at best
4: I think two things one is I think there are things you can do to still build relationships remotely and so I think you can you can create some of that you can also get teams together in person periodically for off sites and trips and you can make those memories but on the other hand What you're saying is directionally true, and I think people running companies remotely need to acknowledge that the strength of the relationships inside the company are not going to be equivalent to what you'd have if people were together 40 hours a week in the office, and that's just sort of like a fact of human nature and reality, and so that doesn't mean that it's impossible to run a good company that way, but it means that you have to redesign the way a company operates because you don't have this inherent trust and relationship layer to nearly the same extent that you do if everybody's in the office. So I think you can do some things to work towards it. But fundamentally, I think trying to pretend like you're gonna have the same relationships is just a bad idea.
2: Just uh, 30 seconds here, Jack, but inflation is high, obviously, and people wanna get paid enough to keep up with it. How hard is that?
4: Well, interestingly, at least, so I, you know, just knowing our own little corner of the world in tech, we saw compensation bans rise unbelievably yep. in the last 18 months, far stripping out inflation. And so despite the fact that inflation is, you know, up almost you know, double digits, uh, compensation across tech and most pay, pay bands has gone up by more than that. So I, I think for various reasons, tech has enjoyed so much benefit from the pandemic yep. that it's worked out so far. But we'll see how that plays over time.
1: All right, Jack. Great stuff. Really appreciate getting your perspective there. That was really interesting. Jack Altman, CEO and co-founder of Lattice. <laughs> Let's talk uh, supply chain. One of our favorite topics here at Bloomberg Markets. Mario Herrick joins us. He's chief information officer for XPO Logistics. If you don't know them, they touch you probably most weeks, most days. They're a big logistics firms, publicly traded company, six point nine billion market cap. Uh, XPO is the ticker. Uh, Forty-two thousand employees, based in Greenwich, Connecticut. How about that? Greenwich. Yeah, right? Isn't that how you pronounce it? All right, Mario, talk to us about this supply chain. You guys at XPO are in all parts of it. I think trucking, I think, you know, just logistics, moving stuff around. Give us a sense of kind of how we got into this logistics supply chain nightmare, if, if you will, and kind of where are we in terms of getting, getting ourselves out. out of it?
5: Yeah, you got it. First, uh, thanks, thanks so much for having me on, guys. Uh, when we think about the overall supply chains and moving goods, it's a combination of having, uh, you know, how many people you have moving the goods, how much equipment you have to move the goods, and versus what kind of demand uh, you're seeing from customers. Now, when you, in a post-pandemic world, uh, there was strengthening demand in terms of uh, consumers buying more and pro- more products getting moved uh, in, in supply chains coupled with less people and less equipment as well. So when you think about the chip shortage as an example of impacting OEMs being able to produce trucks. And that combination of high demand and lower supply of capacity obviously impacted supply chains globally.
2: By the way, um, ha- ha- has shipping, has logistics been a problem in terms of, had problems in terms of scarcity of vehicles? I mean, has that impacted your your business as well?
5: Yeah, that, that also from a capacity perspective, the uh, truck manufacturers, the OEMs uh, were challenged in terms of them being able to produce a capacity, uh, which also impacted that. But where we are now, a lot of these things are starting to normalize. So what you're seeing is that you, you obviously have more people going back into the workforce we are investing more capital in the business where effectively we have a company specific edge where we also produce our own trailers because the other form of equipment is trailers, and uh, this year we're planning on doubling the production of trailers compared to last year uh, by producing more trailers so we can move more more goods
2: but uh, i'm sure i'm assuming that demand hasn't stabilized right you're still seeing massive demand
5: so demand has been mixed from customers uh, overall. Some customers were seeing stronger demands from uh, today in our less-than-truckload business, and that's the business that, that I run. Uh, we we have seen for industrial customers strengthened demand in some cases where they are seeing more products flow into their supply chain, where they can actually move more products for their customers, which leads to more shipping. And uh, you have some customers where they're seeing softer demand. And uh, they, uh, you know, they're obviously shipping less. But for us, we have a lot of sales momentum where we are onboarding new customers. We are investing more in our business. We are graduating more drivers, and we are onboarding new customers so we can get again more freight moved and the uh, like. Our customer with our service.
2: Hey, explain. Uh, you, you say it's the business you run, the less than truckload um, business. That's because you spun off your truck brokerage business, and you're focused fully on what is a less-than-truckload freighter?
5: Yeah, less-than-truckload, less I think of it as being whenever uh, shippers are moving things that are larger than parcel, so larger than a small box, a box, but where they don't have enough freight to fill a full truck. And we have a terminal network of 294 terminals, and we cover coast-to-coast 99% of all zip codes. Where we can pick up one pallet of freight for a shipper from one city, we consolidate it with other shippers' freight, we move it across the country, and then we do a local delivery for that for that pallet.
1: Less than truckload versus truckload (TL). So LTL. See, I learned this stuff back in the day when I was covering the rails and trucks. Well, and it's industry. like
2: it's so complex if you think about it, it right? That's why you're yes. filling an 18-wheeler with. Stuff from, from lots of different maybe people. 10 yeah. or 20 different right. companies. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's, it's really it's the backbone of logistics in this country. So, you know, we had, uh, Marrow, today's Jobs Day here on Wall Street here at Bloomberg. We had a really strong jobs number, uh, a lot more jobs added to the economy than expected. And that kind of brings to mind one of the challenges I know in your business, the trucking business, it's almost impossible to keep truckers uh, there. There's a high turnover. Talk to us about how your business is right now.
5: Yeah, you got it. So first, our, our drivers are w- one of the most important parts of our workforce. There are folks who, and I'm thankful for every one of our drivers, and we have more than 13,000 drivers who move freight for our customers across across the network. And what we have done is that we have 130 locations where we train our own drivers where we pay their wages as they're going through the training program and then they can join our ranks as a driver go. who move, move freight for our customers. Yeah, and this good. year we're planning on doubling the number of drivers we're graduating uh, and to, to join our ranks.
2: How, what kind of training are we talking about? Cause this is like, I don't know why I've dreamt about it since I was a kid. Just seems like the perfect job for me, you know? Chasing that yeah. wa- long white line. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, it, it is an amazing job. I, I spend a lot of time in our terminals and I get to meet a lot of our drivers. They're some salt-of-the-earth people. They really keep our economy and the whole country moving. But the training that we do uh, is effectively a, where they earn a the CDL license. So effectively, it's a seven-week training. So you can imagine if you're a dock worker with us or you're somebody coming from outside the company who would like to earn a CDL license, we train you both in the classroom and on the road training. But at the end of it, you would own a CDL a license, and you can actually drive one of those large semis and then uh, move freight uh, for our customers.
2: I just some of the cabs also are so awesome. You can have a <laughs> yes. whole setup in there with a bed and a computer and a TV. And yep, it's. But again, it's a tough, tough job. You're away from you home. You can bring on the your road. dog along with you. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yep. But, so, but- but but I tell you guys for us because we're in less than truckload
5: our drivers sleep at home every single day yeah that's key so effectively that's a that's a big benefit for our drivers in terms of being able to uh, in terms of being able again to be at home
2: oh who do you hand it off to then for the long haul
5: so because we have 294 terminals so when we move freight between our terminals each driver drives at most 250 miles one way mm. and then they hand off the trailer either to a terminal or they hand it off to another driver that can move the rest of the freight on its, on its path to the customer.
2: Do you have a preferred supplier in terms of the actual tractor? I mean, the, the big rig? Do you go with today, Volvo, Peterbilt, Mac?
5: Today, today we use two, two OEMs uh, in, our, uh, in our fleet. Um, well, one of them is Freightliner, is our primary uh, OEM. Uh, and uh, we have a great relationship with them. They, they produce fantastic trucks
1: that's good stuff that's good stuff we love talking about logistics in case you couldn't tell mario thanks so much for uh joining us mario harrick uh he's a chief investment officer xpo logistics uh he's gonna be ceo of the xpo which will be their standalone ltl trucking company And again, the XBO folks, uh, they touch pretty much every consumer uh, very frequently uh, as they are really the backbone of the global trucking logistics uh, of this country as more and more traffic goes digital. This is Bloomberg.
0: From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.
1: Let's talk to somebody who does this stuff for a living. Shannon Gabriel, Managing Director of Leadership Solutions at TBM Consulting. Shannon, from your perspective, from working with your clients, your employers, how good is the labor market out there?
6: I don't think it's good at all. Actually, I think that we're still struggling. <laughs> <laughs> we're still seeing a struggle within the middle market. Yeah. Uh, the groups that we work with, the companies that we're working with um, at TVM, you know, fall anywhere between 300 million and 700 million. And I can't think of one. Actually, there is one. We have one client that's a manufacturing company that has gone through some right-sizing. The rest of them are still struggling to find labor and to keep it. Why do
2: you? She think said right that sizing. It, I know. I know. That's. But is it, I don't know if that's acceptable, Shannon. I <laughs> mean, they fired people or yeah. what?
1: <laughs> so Shannon, I mean, is that because they're not offering enough money? Is that because people don't want to work? Is that because I can't find people the right with the skills? right skills? Yeah.
6: Some of it relates back to the, the PTSD that occurred from the pandemic. So if you look at the airline industry and the service industry, hospitality, they went through massive layoffs right away, forced retirements, uh, furloughs. And as they started to try to rebound and bring that labor back, uh, that PTSD kicked in and they went to a safer market where they knew they could be uh, stabilized. And so some of those industries have had a harder time to return to those normal levels, one, because of pay. A lot of companies went through a quick increase in their wages right out of the gate. Some of them are still struggling to get to where it's a competitive market. And I don't mean a wage war where we're paying over, but just to be competitive in the geographic territory that they're in.
2: In terms of the money, I mean, we do continue to see – raises so i guess our employers offering more the companies that you cover are they having to continually offer more to get staffed
6: they have, especially when you're talking uh, within the leadership ranks. Uh, those have seen a significant improvement, and the, those employees and candidates own the market. Uh, what you've also, they don't talk about it within the press, but we do hear a lot right now are counteroffers. So as, especially within the leadership ranks, as those key stakeholders are trying to make a move, companies are throwing an enormous amount of money at them to keep them on staff.
1: Shannon, I guess in recent weeks we've seen some large and mid-sized and small tech companies said they'll, slow hiring, you know, maybe let some workers go. What do you read into that?
6: I, we've seen that across the decades. You know, they, they typically can expand and contract their workforce a lot easier than the middle market can. And and so when we see those talks occurring, I, I think that they they may slow down a bit. They may go through minor layoffs on a frequent basis, but I don't think that it's indicative of a recession. And I don't know that it's necessarily indicative of their financial performance.
2: Well, and it's just you know headlines from big some somehow controversial companies like Coinbase or Robinhood that we hear about. In terms of the markets that you serve, are there certain industries that um, have an easier time? Are there certain industries that just can't get staffed?
6: Manufacturing distribution, I think, certainly have still been struggling to come together and, and reach the normal levels. Uh, distribution certainly—you know—if you walk into any warehouse and you talk to uh, the warehouse manager, supervisor, they'll tell you that they not only can they not get people to come in and stand 10 hours a day, because they don't want to, but they also, once they're there, will have a quick—they'll have the quick quits, and they'll return. Um, They return the next day, but not the day after that. And so those industries, I think, are certainly struggling. Uh, Hospitality, service, if you've been in the restaurants um, in the last, you know, month, two, three, six months, you'll see that you have half the restaurant open, but you're going to have an hour and a half wait because they can't staff accordingly.
1: Yeah, uh, it's interesting. During the pandemic, uh, Shannon, women uh, disproportionately bore the brunt, it seems like, of some of the the layoffs there. And Greg Jarrett from uh, Bloomberg News just forwarded me a Bloomberg News story about how women drove the job gains as the U.S. labor market surges back in July. So maybe some women getting back into the marketplace. Is that what you're seeing as well?
6: Absolutely. And I, I think the reason behind that, too, is because women predominantly were the ones that stayed home when they're homeschooling their kids and they've got to make sacrifices with daycare on what choices they're going to make because of the pandemic. So now that that has stabilized and normalized itself, they're able to return back in a quick fashion and get back into their career. All
1: right, Shannon, thank you so much uh, for joining us. We really appreciate that. Shannon Gabriel, Managing Director of Leadership Solutions at TBM Consulting.
2: Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973.
1: And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha,